from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. This is Cheryl Kennedy at the Library of Congress. Late September will mark the 11th year that book lovers of all ages have gathered in Washington, D.C. to celebrate the written word at the Library of Congress National Book Festival. The festival will be two days this year, Saturday, September 24th, 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., and Sunday, September 25th, 1 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Free and open to the public, the festival will take place between 9th and 14th Streets on the National Mall, rain or shine. For more details, visit www.loc.gov slash bookfest. And now it is my pleasure to introduce Eric Jerome Dickey, whose latest book is titled Tempted by Trouble. Mr. Dickey is the author of 18 novels, 12 of them have been New York Times bestsellers. Mr. Dickey, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you very, very much. I just finished reading your book, and it's a definite page-turner. Oh, thank you, thank you. Now, it's about good people who are forced to do bad things. Yeah, it is. It, uh, it is. It, it's, uh, the, the lead character, Demetric, is uh, it's probably one of the characters I've written that has this very strong moral compass. You know, he's uh, pretty much a throwback to the way we think that people are supposed to behave, how they... Uh, supposed to work hard, things are supposed to work out. You, if you go to college and you're educated, you, um, everything is supposed to work out for you. I mean, that's part of the American dream. But for him, the American, and, and, and as it has for so many people, the American dream has folded. And he, uh, and basically, he's trying to survive. You know, and I, and I put, and it's one of those characters where it's like you know you, you're taken to your lowest point to the point where you're um you're almost like you're susceptible to anything that uh will feed you for the moment and then coupled with the fact that he's married and his wife is in the same situation they were both uh workers uh at general motors uh and they're both laid off so it's 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 twice as hard i mean for him as i'm, as I'm imagining this story you know you're waking up and you're staring in the face of someone who is in the same situation that you are in, and you're both looking at each other, uh, how do we get out of this? And there's just no apparent answer. Now, the backdrop of your book parallels today's economic problems. Why did you pick such a real and painful setting for your novel, and was there an underlying message about today's society? Well, it's um, everything I write is, is contemporary. I mean, it just happens to be where we were at the time. And it's really funny. The book came out a year ago, so I probably started working on it two years ago. And sadly, nothing has changed. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, it's really, I mean, because the way I write, sometimes I'm writing uh, characters who exist in a particular a particular uh, political climate that by the time the book comes out, it's, it's passed, you know, uh, but unfortunately with this, you know, I wrote it two years ago, and I can pick it up now and glance through it. It's still the same. It's still the same issue. So, um, which <clears throat> for some may say is a good thing for writing, but for reality, it, it really isn't. Uh, everything I write, for the most part, except for a couple of stories, I've been just, you know, uh, what we're living now, well, uh, the backdrop has been, you know, uh, the world as it is at that moment. Even when I wrote uh, part of the Gideon series was in uh, Argentina. And for that novel, it's, 
it speaks of what was going on in Argentina at that moment. Uh, I, I've written stories that took place in London, uh, Amsterdam, and, and it's the same thing. Because wherever I go, <clears throat> wherever I write about, that, that's a character as well. And I literally go to these places and I sit down and I break the bread. I break bread with people and I read the local newspapers every day and I study that history so that as I'm writing a story, it can it can feel authentic, especially for the people of that region. Say say for this story, as I was working on Tipped by Trouble, the big thing for me was I'm not from Detroit. I really don't know Detroit, but hopefully uh, if I can pull it off, if I'm if I'm the type of writer that I that I want to be. People who live in Detroit will pick it up, and Demetric will feel and sound and live as if he's from Detroit, and that's the that's the best feedback I've gotten uh, from the uh, from readers. People who live in Detroit and they read it, I said, and they will they will say this feels and sounds like someone who lives right here where we are. Well, you obviously have captured the authenticity of the area and the and the people who live there. Well, and I was I was back there, and um, again just casually chatting with people and uh, and then some stuff being pointed out to me, you know, that I just hadn't thought about, you know, which uh, things like, you know, there, someone said, you know, the thing about it is like I'm, they don't watch the news anymore because every time they turn the news on, it's talking about Detroit. So now Detroit has become the, the epicenter of every problem in the United States. And they said, we don't want to watch that every day just wake up and you turn the television on and people are pointing a finger at you and you're not the problem it's something else that's the problem but you know but now you you've become uh you've become the bad guy of the country the bad city of the country and then and also being there and uh watching the news and you know and and at the time the mayor was talking about because so many neighborhoods are basically ghost towns and talking about consolidating neighborhoods, trying to get people to move from certain areas over to other areas so they can bulldoze uh, the ghost towns and just trying to imagine living. You know, I couldn't even imagine living like that. You know, it's like where I live now, you, you want to relocate me so we can just tear everything else down over here. But that's kind of like what they were trying to do. It was like consolidating. I was like, wow. Uh, actually, you mentioned um, that people just stop wanting to listen to the news because it's so bad. Yeah. Now, during hard times, people often gravitate toward happily ever after escapism. Yeah. Without giving away too much of the story, um, why did you decide to create a provocative, gritty world without a storybook ending? I, I don't do storybook endings. Because um, for me, storybook endings, a lot of times, one, are really false. It's, it's like you create all this wonderful conflict. And it's almost as if the writer um, has no way of ending this. So they just either march everybody into a church or they throw a ring on a woman's finger and every, everything becomes happily ever, ever mm -hmm. after. And we know in the real world that it's, it just it doesn't work that way. I think a, a writer needs to, the conflict that's been creative, he, needs to, he or she needs to remain true to the conflict and don't look for easy way out. Uh, and that's what happens with a lot of the, uh, to me, the happily ever after stuff. I mean, to me, Cinderella, <clears throat> a story like that, the story didn't start until, until she got married to the prince, and then she moves into the, into the castle. Yeah, she better have some food tasters, <laughs> bodyguards. That's where, the story, that's where the story starts, right there. I mean, because it's, 
I guarantee that in a scenario like that, it's never what you thought it was going to be like when you moved in. So far as marriage, work doesn't begin until after the I do's. That's not the end. That's the beginning. You know, some people think that is the end. That is the beginning. That's where now you're cohabitating and compromising and changes have to be made. And, oh, expectations. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I didn't, I didn't know that you expected that of me. Oh, you know, it's, so it's, it's something totally, totally different, you know. It's not like in the movies. Well, it's no different than Desperate Housewives. You know, I used to watch this show years ago, but all of it is everyone's, everyone has... If you look at it from the outside, everyone has everything that they should need to be happy until they fall into a grave, and yet they're not. Mm-hmm. And that's the way we are as people. You know, the the numbers for divorce would not be so high <laughs> if <laughs> if there were any other way. If we had more realistic expectations. Yeah, realistic. Well, what part of it is is understanding yourself. It's diff- It's difficult enough to understand yourself than trying to understand somebody else. Obviously, your understanding of the human condition has helped you become so successful. Well, I, I, I try, I mean, on some levels. I mean, uh, I don't generally talk about this stuff a lot, but in a lot of times I'm listening to other people who are quote-unquote experts on stuff speak, and most of them I think is just bull because I don't think they know what they're talking about. Uh, but, but because what happens is uh, they are preaching to a particular audience, and when they step on stage, on mic or whatever, all they do is say what the other people want to hear. They get an applause and they get a they get a nice contribution at the end of the show. You know, they don't really speak any hard truths. Mm-hmm. Uh, character is behavior. You know, and for a lot of people, even <clears throat> even in the stories I write, I focus on character. You know, not not character in the sense of oh, someone is six foot one and oh, she has this this particular physical build. Their behavior and their actions, and uh, every action and behavior that I create is motivated by something. It's just—it's not just. There's never just a character in the book who's an antagonist for the sake of being an antagonist. Well, obviously, character development is an important part of your success. But I read something interesting. Okay. Uh, in addition to writing, you've also worked as a software engineer, an actor, a stand-up comedian. The Ex- first one I was paid for, the last two were hobbies. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, what the IRS to me. told me. The IRS said if you're paid for it, it's a job. If you're not paid for it, it's just a hobby, and don't try to write it off. <laughs> well, tell me, explain to me how your hobby of stand up comedy prepared you for your very successful career as a writer. Well, uh, stand up is performing and writing. I mean, I think a lot of people don't think about it. every comic who gets on stage, no matter how off the cuff the, uh, the his act or her act or the joke seem, it, everything has been written down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a big thing. Is and that tailors you for writing something for yourself or, or for someone else that, uh, when performed, gets a laugh. You know, and you. Cause I, I did a, a book, uh, Friends and Lovers, um, back in '96. Six or seven, and the thing. Then one of the characters was a stand-up comic, <clears throat> and the thing was was like, okay, how do I, how do I write a character who's funny, you know? Uh, and a couple of things I did was I said, well, a big thing that says that someone is funny is the audience reaction. You know, mm-hmm. he did a bit. This is how the audience reacted. So I had to, you know, you have to you have to work on that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the stuff that he did i had to write i had to include stuff that for the most part read funny on paper 
you know, uh, a lot of the comics acts uh, because because it's a performance art. They don't necessarily read funny on paper. Most of the stuff that Robin uh, Williams has done probably doesn't read as, as being hysterical on paper. But you have to see Robin Williams do it, you know. Mm-hmm. So for this one, I had to I had to find stuff that read funny. But anyway, but the comedy it just gets you used to writing, man. I mean, because it's you're perpetually writing, you're perpetually writing, you're perpetually rewriting, you're performing. Um, you're learning that brevity is the mother of wit, uh, segue set up punchline, mm-hmm. and, and so far as this, you know, um, segue set up punchline. I mean, it doesn't always have to end with a joke, but a lot of scenes are right. You know, you segue into it, and I'm setting up something bigger that happens later on. Now, the theme of this year's festival is celebrate the joys of reading aloud. What is your most memorable storytelling experience, either as a child or as an adult? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, storytelling of uh, experience as a child, or well, it's funny. It's just as uh, being a published author, you've I've read stuff where um, it seriously connected with readers. With uh, I was thinking in particular one particular reader when I first started out. Uh, I had, had read Sister Sister, and she and for me it's like all the characters are created, the scenarios are created. It's you know it's uh, again it's you know beginning, middle, and end. And I was reading this, this section, and she just started crying, mm. you know, which is which really scared me, you know, because mm. <laughs> you know you think tears like oh I did something wrong, you know, mm-hmm. but she connected with what was going on in the book, and I, and it's one of those moments where you realize how how powerful even fiction is, you know, how powerful words are, you know. Uh, and I used to be just so worried about people just reading it and just being bored, but here's a lady who just, you know, she just broke out in tears. She was having the same exact issue at home with her husband. And mm-hmm. <laughs> remember, all I could think was, was, I don't know your husband, I promise. I, promise, <laughs> I don't know. I have never, I don't even know who, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just so funny. It's like even even then, when you try to write something that's original, I mean, even their dialogue. She's like, "This that's the exact conversation that we had. It's exactly what he said to me." And I was like, "Yikes!" <laughs> you know. But uh, it's just I don't know. It just it's just really because the thing about being a writer, as opposed to say like if you do film, if you do film, you can go into the theater when when the film is playing. If it's you know if that's the case. You can sit in the audience. You can hear the laughter. You can you can see the expressions when people are leaving after the movie is over. You can you know what I mean. You right. you 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 you're there as they experience it. With a novel, it, it doesn't work that way. It's it's that you see people after the fact. You don't really see people as they are reading your work. Uh, you know, it's 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 just it's just it's just totally different. You know, I did a, a screenplay years ago called Cappuccino. And uh, it was on the circuit, and uh, and I would sit in the audience, and you know, no one knew who I was, you know, or no one ever knows who the screenwriter is uh, anyway. Or I don't even think they care. They they want to see the guys on the screen, and but you know, just be able to sit there and and just go through it with the audience was just like so amazing, you know. Mm. Uh, you don't get that with a novel. Right. <laughs> I just one question. Maybe there's a yes or no answer. Um, my son's a fan of your Gideon series, and he wanted to know whether Gideon and Arizona will ever get together. 
Gideon in Arizona. Oh, uh, I I have no idea. Uh, it's funny. Um, yeah, a lot of people ask about Gideon, Arizona, Gideon, uh, Hawks, uh, Gideon, and a couple of other characters. Uh, I think at this point, Gideon is just really too busy trying to survive. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. It's because maybe if I get down to, if I write enough um and I guess enough Gideon novels, and it just seems like it's a, a time to, quote unquote, retire him. I'll um, I'll make some decisions, but right now uh, I'm just really enjoying the uh, well, one the international aspect of the series, and um, and all the characters that uh, that come along with the series. Because it's like with each novel, uh, they become a little bit more dangerous and uh, a lot more intriguing. Well, on that note, Mr. Dickey. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I look forward to being there. And we look forward to having you. Uh, you will appear on Sunday, September 25th in The Cutting Edge, located in the Pavilion of the States at the National Book Festival on the National Mall. Again, okay, thank no. you. Okay, thank you. This has been a presentation of the Library of Congress. Visit us at loc.gov.